Okay. So we're recording. This is Sammy and Victoria's inaugural podcast episode. We are recording on April 27th at 2.40 p.m. Mountain Time. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead. Let's see. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, we're doing it. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, hey, we're talking about uh, creativity and, and education and how people learn, right? We are. Uh, we both cooked something last night to kind of like get creativity in our mind and start to think about the different forms it could take, right? Like people, people could be creative when planning a lesson, but you could also be creative when you're cooking a meal. Yes, I love that. And you and I discussed prior to today just how important it is to, yes, be familiar with the ingredients or the standards, but also how much fun and how much cool stuff can happen when you start to potentially diverge a little bit from that rigid lesson plan or that rigid recipe. And that's where sometimes the magic happens. Yeah, I love that. I love starting with an intention and then like, kind of like exploring it. Mm -hmm. um, I think constraints are a great aspect for creativity and it's like a great place to start. Uh, but I think you can also begin to put a lot of yourself and your own flavor, part of the pun, into the mix when you do that. I remember um, doing, did you ever do reduction-based planning in the classroom where like you'll get like a whole bunch of resources or lessons that are like more than you can use and then you start, oh, I'll take a little bit of this and oh, I like this resource and then I'll start to combine them. And it kind of feels like combining ingredients. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, well, what immediately my thought went to like a balsamic reduction sauce oh. or something where you boil all the ingredients down and you get the more the richer, the more, the thicker, like heartier content or like residue versus like you're evaporating all of the excess out of the sauce. <laughs> so do you, do you see, do you see that? Like you can make something more potent, like a, a teacher might give you a resource or an idea and you're like, if I can reduce this, mm, uh -huh. like distill. a balsamic reduction and distill it to like what's essential or what's most important about this, then I can make it more potent. Yeah, I think that's a perfect like comparison between and connection between the classroom and the kitchen. And that's what happened with my meal last night. I yeah. made some um, tell us. This looks and smells delicious, folks. Yeah, I'm I'm eating right now as we record this podcast. So <laughs> I wanted to attempt something that felt familiar where I'd feel comfortable enough to experiment, but also was new enough that like would intrigue me. And I tried to make chicken noodle soup with no chicken. Ooh, tell me more. So I got the idea, I was like feeling, it was like a colder day, I wanted like chicken noodle soup, I wanted something comforting, but I was like, how can I kind of like challenge myself, which I like to do, and get some creativity going? And I've been eating a lot less meat lately, so I was like, chicken noodle soup, here's the constraint, no chicken. <laughs> um, and I picked out a I picked out a recipe that I was gonna use to like draw from. 
Because that's one of the things that I feel like I noticed uh, from creativity, um, especially when we're like posing questions to learners. It's not very effective to just say something like, think about a time you had fun. It's too vast of a question, too vast of an idea for your mind to grasp. So you need some more like constraints to bring you in. It's not just like, what's a good meal you've had, Victoria? You've had so many, right? But it's like, who, who makes the best curry in town? Okay, now I have a constraint and I can begin to think about it. So t walk us through a little bit more. So is there, you know, is there a chicken stock in this soup? Are you using a base yeah, to construct so it? I use chicken stock. I did. Um, but here's where I think the dish could be better. So there was like carrots and parsnips in the soup. Love it. But they cooked with the chicken stock for about an hour on like low. And as a result, without the chicken, the broth is very sweet. Hmm. And it tastes very sweet, like carrots and parsnips and things like that, which I didn't know that it would do. And then afterwards, I started to taste it. And I was like, oh, it's too sweet. What can I do on the fly to kind of counter this measure? So what'd you do? Oh, I started adding a bunch of salt. Mm -hmm. I added some dry white wine. Mm. Um, I added some extra spices that I wasn't planning on adding, za'atar and oregano, to kind of give it a more earthy flavor. But I realized when I'm thinking about my education, that these things come with like a higher level of fluency. Like you have to know or have an idea of how to counter sweetness mm -hmm. if something becomes too sweet. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to like adjust on your plan and experiment. And know how to balance, right? Because you don't want to overcorrect and add, you know, way too much salt, but then also understanding, yeah, and like embracing that that sweet, savory balance that is so coveted, but sometimes difficult to achieve in different dishes. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. What would you have done if you were going to, if you made this and it was like too sweet? So one thing I've tried to kind of, I noticed a difference between my mom's cooking and my cooking, because I did learn a fair amount of the basics from her in her kitchen, finding alternatives to salt and sodium. So to, if I'm trying to make a dish a bit more tart, trying to like have a salty flavor profile, but not use salt, I love using lemon juice sometimes. I should have used lemon because lemon juice goes so well in chicken soup. I right. use a little bit of it, but I, I was just thinking about it this morning when I had my lemon water, I should have used more. Yeah, that's I actually thought that's what maybe you were going to say, because I only learned to do that a few years ago. Um, and I typically really try to like hold off adding salt too much salt until it's finished because I know I can always add more, but if you add too much, you can never like take it away. Um, that's so interesting. Chicken noodle soup without the chicken. I love that. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if you did this, but I, and this is something I've only started doing very recently to be a bit more like sustainable, but also make it really much richer. The broth itself is like, saving the trimmings of vegetables that you cook with throughout the week or the month, freezing them, and then using those as like to boil them down to make a broth or like to make a stock for uh, for like soups or stews or what have you, which I didn't know you could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do the same thing. And do you use your Instant Pot for that? No, but I should. That's what I do. I just take it and I put, um, I throw all the trimmings there. When I was eating a little bit more meat, I would do that too. Like if I 
you know, if I grill chicken, mm -hmm. I would save the bones, okay. uh, put them in the freezer, and then when the, the bag got big enough, salt, lemon, and you could just put it on the soup setting, and then you have chicken stock that you don't even have to pay the big stock companies. Exactly, yes. Um, that makes me think too about connecting it with the classroom, just how we don't, rec perhaps we don't recognize some of the scraps or some of the trimmings that could totally be repurposed or utilized in a different way perhaps, or like with a different uh, setting, a cooking setting or whatever, but can turn into something really powerful. Um, and transformative in the classroom or with students. And I think a perfect example is that of that is that I used, at least that I could speak to from my experience is something like Socratic seminars where students, I would ask students in years prior before I started doing them to create questions. Maybe we would discuss one or two here and there, but ultimately graduating to that level of like, okay, you're running the show, you know, a student is the facilitator and we are all you know, digging into and engaging with questions that your peers created. And like that totally changed things in my ninth grade English classroom. And you know, you never know what you can get from those scraps, right? When you're willing to like, kind of like let go and like just say, hey, this is what's gonna happen. Yeah, low heat, simmering for a couple yeah. hours. <laughs> you can get something really good. You can get something really good. You know what it makes me think about is um, accommodations. Mm. And how like accommodations can actually be multi, like have multi layers of benefits. Like, uh, for example, I could say you have uh, a shyer student who doesn't want to be cold called on and they approach you and uh, can you not cold call on you? And you make an accommodation for them. Okay, I won't cold call on you, but you have to show me your writing that you're like processing when I'm asking these questions. And for me, this accommodation is no chicken. Mm. But because of that, because I'm giving myself this constraint, this accommodation of like no meat, it's forcing me to be more creative and understand flavors in a deeper way to think about how can I recreate this feeling and how can I do this? And it's not, the, the accommodation is not a disadvantage. It's actually mm -hmm. an advantage that strengthens me in the same way that that student who doesn't want to verbally process out loud is probably almost definitely increasing their uh, language skills and their language fluency by writing more. I love that. And you know, that makes me think of just considering kind of the, the school year ahead that's coming, the, what is it, 2021, 2022, it makes me start to think about what are some of the trimmings or the scraps that, um, we might want to bring with us from virtual learning into the physical full-time in-person classrooms because some students have thrived during online learning and learning has occurred. Um, it hasn't all been for naught. And I think that is something that as educators, we should really continue to discuss and, and not just leave everything behind, you know, because some students have totally, yeah, if they were engaged in the chat and they were constantly participating via typing into the chat, but maybe they never once raised your hand, their hand in your in-person classroom, how might we make an accommodation to bring bring that participation with us into the, into the new school year? I absolutely love that. I think that we should pose that question to our listeners. Yes. What are you bringing back from digital learning in 
to in-person learning? Mm -hmm. What can you redeem and what scraps from this time period can actually be useful and viable for you? Yep, I love that. And I bet folks would share some really interesting and thoughtful uh, and innovative ideas because yeah, we've all been forced to be so incredibly innovative over the past what 14 months now wow. <laughs> i didn't know how to use zoom in, mm -hmm. in uh, february 2020 now it's definitely a part of our lives mm -hmm. um so tell us more about the flavor profile because i'm telling you guys it smells incredible <laughs> in here um i'm thinking so it was an attempt at chicken noodle soup um it, the the broth ended up being like i said a little bit sweeter but there were some things that i wanted to do like um, I added a bit of kale in there to give it like a little texture. Um, normally they would say things like put vegetables in and like let them cook for like an additional 30 minutes, but I just did 15. I made that executive decision because mm -hmm. I, I still wanted them to be um, like to have like a little bit of crunch and texture and not get so soggy and things yep. like that. Um, and I think just generally like a like a I wanted like that homey sensation that that feeling you know that chicken noodle soup feeling I don't mm -hmm. think I got it but I got something different and I feel like that's okay yeah. that's what happens when you experiment creatively like sometimes you'll set out to achieve one thing and you end up finding something else along the way that you could use again yeah no and that I I'm trying to think of a specific example but. You're exactly right. And that makes me think of, I'm sure there's countless innovations in the world that were created when someone was trying to do something else or make something else, but stumbled upon an even better idea or iteration or innovation. And you have um, to be open to those types of things. Right. Like I didn't want to make a sweet broth, but now I know if I wanted to make a sweet broth again, I would add carrots and parsnips and some root vegetables and let them cook and do that. I also uh, did a new technique where I deglazed the pan. Have you ever done that? No. Tell us more. So this is something new I recently learned where you can let things like caramelize. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, I cooked the onions as a base, onions, garlic, and then I added, um, you know, all the carrots and parsnips that I was talking about. And instead of stirring them, I, I've begun to let them just sit and like caramelize. And then they start to smell different. You know, when onions get that like black little crunch and carrots sort of get that, and you could smell it happening, whatever that sugar or chemical, like, yeah, chemical yeah. reaction is. And then you can do that. And then once it's that smelling that way, I poured the white wine at the bottom and the liquid of the white wine helps deglaze the pan, but it takes all those sweet flavors that were cooking on the bottom and incorporates them within the dish. So you could do this with, uh, you know, a type of alcohol. You could do this with a type of like soy or fish sauce or something like that. Mm. Um, and it was something I heard about and something I read about and something I saw done. But I was like, I wonder if I could do this tonight's the night, folks. You heard it here first. Deglazing, <laughs> deglazing the pan, deglazing the assessment, the lesson. This is a really cool concept that I think we could, we could, yeah, we could take much further. That is so interesting. What about you? What did you make last night? Yeah, that makes me too think about how I always try to scrape out those pieces sometimes, but using them, repurposing them to make it oh, make it even better. That's mm -hmm. incredible. So last night I made 
uh, a dish like that. I'm not a huge fish person. I love to, to maybe eat it in a restaurant, but I don't really typically make it myself, but kept it very, very simple. Did, it was a fish fillet barramundi, which is apparently- That's my favorite, that's one of my favorite fishes. Really? Barramundi, yeah. Okay. Top three. Nice, yeah, it's, it's an Australian sea bass. Yeah. Okay, that's what the package said. I was like, sure, <laughs> I'll dig your word for it. So yeah, just very, very simple. Um, put it in the pan. It said to coat it in olive oil, coat the thawed filet in olive oil, and then uh, dice two cloves of garlic and uh, melt two tablespoons of butter in the pan. So add through the butter, add the garlic and kind of soften it up just a little bit. And then I actually took a, I took a detour from the recipe and I was like, wait a minute, it's saying to cook the fish separately and then make the sauce separately and then only pour the sauce onto the fish at the end. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like we want the oil of the garlic to absorb into the fish, the butter to absorb into the fish meat. So I was like, all right, we're not doing that. We're just gonna put, we're gonna melt the butter, do the garlic, get it a little, little soft, not even golden brown, because otherwise if I let it cook too long, it would burn the garlic. So I added in the fish filet. And one thing that's like, I learned, years ago from a chef actually people panic when the when the fish uh sticks to the pan and i had i had oiled it and everything and he said be patient people are always they panic and they like scrape it off too soon with the spatula or what have you but because there's natural oils in the fish once it's done cooking it will naturally release and you'll be able to flip it over no problem um and I did start to panic initially because I was like, oh my God, it's gonna break apart and it's gonna not cook evenly and it's gonna be bad. And then I was like, wait a minute, I remember what that chef told me years ago and like gave it just an extra minute or so. And sure enough, it released right up and I flipped it. It was beautifully cooked, golden brown, had that little little like crispiness on the, on the outside. Um, and then yeah, served it with a side of uh, steamed brown rice and fresh peas, and then drizzled the drippings from the pan, the sauce essentially left over on top of the fish and ate it outside on my patio. And it was like wow. the loveliest meal. <laughs> wow, I love that. Yeah. The, the part that sticks out to me that makes me think about learning is this idea of like a voice popping in your head to remind you in this mm. like circumstance. Like if I was a 10th grader in English class and I was I don't know, practicing for the SAT, I it would be that moment of Miss James always said, <laughs> you know, this, 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 and you never know when that latent knowledge kind of like comes out. Why do you mm -hmm. think that, that that happened, that it stuck to you? Was it that, that circumstance? Was it just that that conversation was very poignant? Yeah, that's a good question. I think Maybe it was actually the level, you know, there's a level of, of board. It's like a baseline, a little bit stressful when you're cooking sometimes, cooking something you're not very confident with. And I think sometimes we feel that as teachers when we're maybe teaching a lesson, we, we're not super familiar with the content or it's the first time we've taught that lesson or that activity. But then, you know, I could have panicked. I could have like tried to just force it with the spatula and it would have broken apart the filet and made it really ugly, um, but sort of 
trying to reach back, yeah, into my previous experience and remembered, oh, I remember what to do in this moment. It's to be patient and it's to just like trust the process and trust my knowledge, like what that, what that educator, that chef taught me to do and follow it. And I like that you also attempted something new, something you wanted to be challenged by. Mm. Did it, did it, do you feel like, you, like your attention was heightened because you weren't making something that you made a hundred times that you? Yeah, definitely. I think the whole like respecting the ingredients was a big part because I've made other dishes, yeah, countless times before, and I could be on autopilot and I can just have six, you know, burners going at once or whatever. I only have four, what am I saying? My kitchen is not that fancy. <laughs> um, but then this, yeah, because I hadn't cooked fish in so long and wanted to make it really good. Yeah, I think there was like a heightened level of tension there. The other thing you said that kind of stuck out to me was the this idea of like making a change, which was a result of like your high level of, um, you know, cooking fluency, understanding that the recipe suggested one thing, but that you knew that the fish could be better if it was combined with the butter and garlic in this way. And I think that's only a level of fluency you can get once you feel comfortable with a certain source material, mm. where someone might say something like, if I'm thinking about like English class, like never start off a sentence with the word and. Mm. But both you and I, when writing, will know that sometimes you can start off a sentence with the word and. Yeah. But it's a rule that we kind of like give our students um, to follow. But you can only make that change in thought once you understand all the pieces of the whole and mm -hmm. you go oh no it's better for this piece overall if i start off with the word and and you looking at the recipe going oh no it's better overall for the fish and the flavors if i go against this recipe yes i love that that reminds me what's that phrase that's like like whether it's with painting or cooking it's or writing it's learn the rules so you, then you know how to break them or something yeah. Absolutely. And that makes me, I'd be so curious to hear from listeners if we pose that question to them, what are some of those quote unquote rules that you maybe were taught in your teacher prep programs or your, you know, with your uh, mentor teacher or in grad school that you now know well enough that you, you break them on occasion? Yeah. Yeah. I think about that too. What rules do you break in education? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I'm sure people would have some incredible insights. Because that's really where the creativity comes from, right? Like mm. everyone can follow rules and they're there to help you understand foundations. And then once you do, it's like, where do you put yourself in them? Where mm. do you express yourself through them? Where do you find your own creativity with them? Because you can understand their purposes and use them differently. Yeah. I really like the idea, um, this is kind of echoed and cooking for me, of everything being used in its best form, which is what I feel like you kind of did with the, the butter and the garlic. Like the butter and the garlic, it could have just been a side sauce or you could have like disregarded the fish's cooking oils, but you wanted to use it in its best form. You knew it could be used as more. Mm. Ooh, thanks, Sam. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so what is what's next? What's next on the on the menu at, at your house? Oh, actually, you know what? Uh, tomorrow's a bean day. Okay. So you know I love cooking lentils love. and garbanzos and split peas or whatever. Shout out to legumes. <laughs> Totally, totally underappreciated. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I like to try to challenge myself by making something uh, different with them in some different ways. Last week I made garbanzos terribly. Mm. And for me, part of the, the creative process and the education process is like learning to be like, hey, that messed up. This is also a learning opportunity for me. What would I do differently? Yeah, love that. So something, something like goons. Okay. Any you? more details you can share? For the listeners at home, <laughs> I might, I've been known to incorporate a leafy green in there. So I might Ooh. be seeking to foist some spinach onto the dish. Nice. Get the iron. Okay. Very nice. Spinach has iron, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, oof. Okay. What's, what's next up at my house? Um, I actually just got the latest issue of Bon Appetit magazine, which is all about the issue is all about how to eat, cook and live more sustainably. Um, so I might try a couple recipes from there. One that looked really, really good actually also was with garbanzos. Um, it's on like the cover of the magazine wow. itself. Will you, will you take a picture of it? I will take a picture of it. Yes. Okay. Um, and then Another thing that has been living in my freezer for a little a little while now that I need to buckle down, thaw, and cook up are duck breasts. Wow, yes. that's a challenge. Yes, and that is like one of my favorite things to cook, to eat, to order. I think they're so delicious, but I'm trying to I'm trying to do something different. Normally, I do like a cherry balsamic reduction. Sear them, you know, slice them up, serve them with maybe a side of like polenta, risotto, some starch with a vegetable. But this time around, I'm thinking of maybe, you know, pulling more from other other spices, other like ingredients that I haven't worked with before, but still keeping the making the duck breast shine and be the best, mm. be its best self. <laughs> best there ingredient. you go. Yeah. There you go. Whenever I think of duck, I always think of Peking. Ooh, oh, like my five, five spice, Chinese five spice. That's mm -hmm. a different profile. Yes. So uh, we'll talk about who, what other creatives we can have on this podcast and explore their creative thought process while exploring education as a creative thought process as well. Um, third and final question for our listeners. What kind of creatives do you want to see? Uh, Victoria, what kind of creative options do we have up next? I think we are going to engage with those uh, Gardner's eight forms of intelligences, which include visual spatial, linguistic verbal, interpersonal, intrapersonal, um, as well as a few other forms of intelligence. I would love to see there's one. Well, let's see, there's two musical and bodily kinesthetic. I think it would be incredible to hear from a dancer. We've all been you know, laying low for the past several months. No one's probably going to clubs, at least I'm not. Um, but dancing is something that I miss so much uh, over the past, you know, several months. And I think 
it's such a powerful art form and like have recently gotten into the Netflix series Pose, which I would highly recommend to every single person. Um, it's incredible like storyline into the ballroom scene of 1980s New York City. Um, incredible. So I would love to, to hear from a dancer. What about you, Sam? I'm thinking uh, I'm open to uh, a lot of, I'm open to all of them, but I think the one that might interest me the most is maybe a naturalist like we talked about. Mm. Someone who has high naturalistic intelligence, someone who uh, can look at a plant and kind of like understand if it needs more water or can tell me why I'm killing all my plants at home. <laughs> that might be good. Yeah. And understand what their intelligence is like because I feel like I have a deficit in that way. But I feel like if I have a good conversation with them and our listeners are able to hear it, and I could connect my knowledge to their knowledge, which is what this is all about. I love it. I love it. Yes, folks, some of us uh, have really leaned into the, you know, plant parent life uh, because there's, you know, not a whole lot else to, you know, engage with if you don't have a pet or a roommate. So we hear you there. Okay, very cool. I've got a spot in Wheat Ridge that sells super cheap plants that we can talk about offline. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> we'll link it for all you too. <laughs> Cash only. Yes. All right. All right, you guys have a great night. We're going to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> we need an outro. What's our um, like catchphrase? Not catchphrase, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like a... Uh... No, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> I got it. Something with kitchen like. Yeah. All right, you heard it here. Da, 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 da. Well, we'll we'll work on that. Yeah. Fine. Keep cooking it up. Ooh, I like. That. <laughs> and scene. Okay.